It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Friday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we prepare to speak with Ambassador James Jeffries. I'll bring you up to date quickly on what we know here uh, from Israel. The headline on the terminal says it all. The latest from Israel, U.N. staff given evacuation order for northern Gaza. This is it. Israel's armed forces telling the U.N. to evacuate personnel from northern Gaza, indicating that a ground operation could be coming soon. And that is expected as early as tonight into tomorrow, something we've been talking about for the balance of the week, of course, and a message that was delivered earlier, underscored by Israeli Defense Minister Yova Gallant. Here he is. Please go south. We are going to destroy Hamas infrastructures, Hamas headquarters, Hamas military. He appeared along with the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, who is now in Tel Aviv just a day after Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, uh, paid a visit. He appeared alongside the Israeli Defense Minister and was asked several times about the potential for civilian casualties, collateral damage inside Gaza City. Here's the secretary. I've worked with Israeli forces over the years, over many years. As you know, I wore a uniform for 41 years. My experience in working with the Israeli forces is they are professional, they're disciplined, and they're focused on the right things. Now, as we follow uh, the travels of the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, remembering yesterday he was in Tel Aviv where he met not only with government officials, uh, beginning with Benjamin Netanyahu, but also survivors of the attacks last weekend. Today he is in Qatar where he appeared with the Prime Minister in a joint news conference asked as well about this very same matter. Israel has the right, indeed it has the obligation, to defend its people and to try to ensure that Hamas can never repeat what it's done. We continue to discuss with Israel the importance of taking every possible precaution to avoid harming civilians. We recognize that many Palestinian families in Gaza are suffering through no fault of their own, and the Palestinian civilians have lost their lives. As we've told you, he also will be visiting Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, and a few other stops along the way as this itinerary expands, making his way through the region could be some very challenging optics if this invasion does begin with him on the road. And that's where we start our conversation with James Jeffries, chair of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center, the former ambassador to Iraq and Turkey, a special envoy for the global coalition to counter the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant ISIS. Of course, Mr. Ambassador, it's great to see you and we appreciate your joining us today to share your experience and your view here. Uh, and I'd like to start in that same 
place as we look at what's going on here and the potential for this to escalate? Is this not the very scenario that you've spent your years worrying about seeing actually happen? Absolutely. Uh, I've been involved in many, uh, many wars, conflicts, uh, exchanges of fire, bombing raids and such in the Middle East. That's par for the course. This one is different. Like the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago, where Egypt and Syria almost overran Egypt, like 9-11, only far worse, uh, like Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, this is one of the big ones we only see <clears throat> once every decade or two decades in the Middle East that really can change things and puts countries in existential threat. Israel is an existential threat, not just from the people, civilians killed 10 times proportionally what we lost from terror on 9-11. It was the overrunning of a whole forward Israeli army division by Hmm. 5,000 roughly uh, Hamas uh, highly trained and uh, prepared soldiers that presents a threat to Israel. It can't deal permanently with that threat while also having threats on its northern border from Hezbollah and from Iran uh, <clears throat> across the Gulf. So Israel has to go in and take out Hamas. That's the order it's given the military to dismantle Hamas. Very similar to the mission that uh, when Tony Blinken uh, and Lloyd Austin were in the Obama administration, they were given mm -hmm. uh, to take out the Islamic State. And in both cases, that can really uh, generate civilian casualties. And in the case of this conflict, there's a risk that uh, uh, Lebanese Hezbollah uh, out of Lebanon could intervene or Iran directly, which is one reason why President Biden is so strong and why he sent two aircraft carriers to deter other countries from yeah. piling on as Israel is focused on Gaza. Well, what happens uh, in the next couple of days here, and, and to the extent that this ground invasion occurs, Mr. Ambassador, will tell us a lot, I suspect, about the potential for this to escalate. This is not going to be easy, uh, realizing we have a very well-trained uh, military and a very capable one in Israel. I think to the Secretary's point, this is going to require a good deal of discipline. How concerned are you uh, about the way Israel will conduct this invasion in an area that's teeming with civilians? Uh, well, look, I have to be really blunt here. When countries are fighting existential battles, they will adhere to the law of war, but that neither requires nor will they make it their top priority to spare civilians. And that's the problem with the admonitions they've been getting from the uh, Biden administration. If you're going to take, as Tony Blinken said, every possible precaution to avoid attacking civilians or hurting civilians, you don't invade an area where uh, civilians are being held by the tens of thousands as essentially human shields by Hamas. Hamas could uh, support the evacuation of people. It could place its troops and its installations not inside buildings that people are in, but it does. That's the problem for Israel. It's going to be trying to uh, achieve a military victory quickly. It can't keep 5% of the uh, population under arms indefinitely uh, with minimum Israeli casualties while also minimizing the civilian losses, which is why the Israeli uh, Minister of Defense told uh, the citizens of Gaza to move south about 10 miles across what we call the Wadi or uh, Gaza River. Mm -hmm. How difficult of a job does Israel have here? This is obviously uh, an entrenched enemy, 
uh, with a network of tunnels beneath Gaza. Uh, there are no uniforms that they'll be able to see when they move into the streets of Gaza. Mr. Ambassador, uh, you think about this as a combination potentially of Stalingrad and Iwo Jima with what they're facing. Uh, this is going to be very tough. I'm a former infantry officer. Uh, attacking into a city is difficult. Uh, even if you have overwhelming numerical superiority, which Israel does have, and even if you have air power, uh, armor, and other things that the other side does not have, it often comes down to soldier versus soldier uh, fighting your way from room to room, as we did in Fallujah in 2004 in Iraq. Uh, we lost 100 mm -hmm. Marines uh, and Army uh, fighters killed and several hundred wounded. Uh, but uh, Israel can do this. It is determined to do this. It is determined to take the high casualties. The problem is, as we saw in the attack last Saturday, Hamas has thousands of highly trained uh, uh, fighters who surprised the Israeli army and overran the front uh, line Israeli positions. So Israel will have to be uh, fairly careful. But this is another reason why they're bombing uh, to such an extraordinary degree, far more than they ever have done in Gaza as a preparatory um, step to sending their troops in. They want to discombobulate Hamas's defenses as much as possible. That we'll see when they do go in, and I'm sure they will, uh, whether they're successful or not. Mr. Ambassador, Iran says that a new front is possible, quote, if Israel war crimes continue, unquote. Do you read into that? What do you expect to happen once this actual invasion gets underway and the images are on screens around the world? What is Iran's next move? Okay, let me be cynical here. The images will infuriate and outrage Arab populations and countries like Saudi Arabia and the Gulf and Jordan that are friendly to America and basically Israel, uh, as well as European publics. Uh, Iran is going to be delighted at these uh, pictures, as will Lebanese Hezbollah, uh, the Iranian uh, uh, vassal state in southern Lebanon, because they want Israel to get a bad reputation. The key, yeah. key question for Israel and for the United States is, will they intervene militarily? I don't think so. Uh, first of all, the uh, Israelis have now mobilized uh, 360,000 troops. Uh, they're on the alert. They won't be surprised. It'll make it be much, much harder to attack Israel. Uh, secondly, and even more importantly, President Biden has committed the U.S. Uh, essentially in concrete terms to come to Israel's defense if Hamas or Iran intervene. That's the purpose of the two aircraft carriers. That's the purpose of the Air Force uh, aircraft sent there. And he's justified in doing so. There are hundreds of thousands of American citizens uh, in Israel right now. As we saw last Saturday, uh, they are targets as well. So I think that that will deter Iran and Hezbollah. I think that if it does deter them and Israel succeeds, uh, the Middle East will be in the long run a safer place. But those are many ifs. Huh. Well, that's fascinating. So you don't see a northern front opening. And in that world, the, the, the Gerald Ford carrier group does not get involved. This ends up being contained to Gaza City, however many days or weeks it takes uh, for this mission to be done and, and we're over. Is that is that your best case scenario? 
Sure. Under no circumstances did the United States intend to have our military forces engage in the Gaza fight. It was rather to allow the Israelis to concentrate their forces in the south, was to uh, help the Israelis by uh, containing uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Iran, and Iranian uh, militias in Syria. There are several fronts Israel has to watch. I think that is working. Uh, and to say that the carrier battle group won't get involved because it will deter combat, frankly, that's one of the best uses of our military force is not to fight, but yeah, to stop fighting happening. I think this is going to work, but I've been wrong before. Well, how about the diplomatic component here? Uh, this is where your uh, experience comes into play as well, Mr. Ambassador. The Secretary of State is on his way to Saudi Arabia. Can this potential partnership, this new deal with Israel, be salvaged? It is frozen. It can be salvaged under several circumstances. One is the humanitarian losses are not too great. Uh, a lot of that depends on how much time Israel gives the population to move south of the Wadi uh, Gaza. Uh, it is physically capable of doing it. It's 10 miles. Um, and secondly, whether Hamas allows them to do so. If most of the population can get out of the way, you're still going to have uh, civilian casualties, just as we had in the fight against the Islamic State. Uh, but uh, they will be kept under control. The Saudis will appreciate that. Uh, other Arab states will. But importantly, if Hamas is destroyed, believe me, the Saudis will be happy. These are the Saudi enemies. The Gulf states will be happy as well. Uh, and if the United States has shown that it stands by its partner, be it Israel today or Saudi Arabia tomorrow, believe me, that is extremely valuable currency in the uh, insecure and unstable Middle East we have today. This will not end up uh, with a treaty being signed on the deck of an aircraft carrier, as they say, Mr. Ambassador. How will we know that this is done with regard to Hamas? That is a difficult question always to answer unless it is something like uh, the signing of a peace treaty or the uh, end of the uh, Kuwait war in 1991, where they sat down at a table. Yeah. Um, we have not formally ended our battle against the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. We still have troops in both countries. We still do operations That's against right. them. But what we know is that they no longer occupy territory. They no longer control 9 million people. They no longer can field 30,000 troops. They can't launch yeah. terrible attacks to Paris, to Berlin, to Cannes, to uh, Brussels. Uh, that's the kind of victory on the ground that you can sense. But even then, right. and the Islamic State is a good example, you have to be present, you have to be wary, you have to keep yes. on hitting them, even when they have been all broken up. Sounds like this is going to be a long-term story and something we'd like to stay in touch with you on, former Ambassador James Jeffries. Now at the Wilson Center, thanks for the insights. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. 
athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Fascinating conversation on the situation in Israel with the former ambassador, James Jeffries. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington here on Bloomberg Sound On with the word from Israel that it is time to evacuate. That includes the United Nations now from northern Gaza. We're seeing an exodus. It's just a question of how many people can get out before a ground invasion begins. And we're told that could be any time uh, from tonight into tomorrow. But it should be uh, an important weekend in the trajectory of this conflict as we assemble our panel today. Uh, glad to say in studio with me in Washington, D.C. is Mark Short, the former director of White House Legislative Affairs, former chief of staff uh, to Vice President Mike Pence. It's great to see you, Mark. Thanks for joining. Joe, thanks for having me on. On set here in New York, we have Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano. You made it to Friday, Jeannie. It's great to see you, and uh, thanks for all the insights this week. And we are far from being done here as we pick up the conversation from Ambassador Jeffries. We've heard from Antony Blinken today, Mark. We've heard from Lloyd Austin, both asked directly in news conferences about protections for civilians in Gaza City and the ability to get people out, not just hostages, but any civilians uh, as they seek uh, some sort of humanitarian corridor here. How concerned are you about some very challenging optics in the next two days? Yeah, Joe, I think it's going to be more than the next two days. I think that this is probably going to be a war that's prosecuted for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And and I think that uh, a question here domestically, I think you I think you can commend the Biden administration for the way they've stood by our cherished ally. Uh, but as that prosecution continues on for weeks and their voices within the squad, they become louder. How does the Democrats' party stay united behind Israel or not? But, uh, but I think this is not going to be a matter of two days. I think it's a matter of a couple of weeks. Sure. Uh, that won't make it any easier as we go, I'm sure. Uh, so speak to me about that period of time. I mean, we're talking about war fatigue in Ukraine almost two years into that conflict. How much time and, and uh, how much understanding will Benjamin Netanyahu have here in the U.S. as, as he conducts this war? Well, I think he's going to have a lot of support, uh, frankly, and I, and I think he, he deserves that support. Um, but I think it's it's as it continues on and, and images come out of the devastation that, that that happens, will that support continue to be with him? And right. I think there's also a question, is this limited to the Gaza Strip? Uh, there's no doubt that Iran has been funding Hamas and has been um, providing the resources for uh, Hamas's uh, a terror attack against Israel. And mm -hmm. so will they limit this there or will there be also uh, attacks upon uh, Iranian assets? I think is a, is a, is, is a question that uh, is unanswered at this point. Jeannie, Ambassador Jeffries uh, was quite sobering when he talked about this. 
making it clear that protecting civilians is not the priority here for Israel as it wages a war to eliminate Hamas. How worried are you about what we're about to see? Extremely worried. I, you know, there are just no good options here. And, you know, the ambassador made a really important point that I, you know, hope everyone reflects on, which is that, you know, we really don't want Israel and the United States to fall into any trap set by Iran, set by Hamas, set by Hezbollah. And what do they want to do? They want Israel to get into a quagmire once again in the Gaza Strip. And that is a fear because we've seen this show already and we've seen how it ends. And to your point, if they do do that, of course, the number of casualties, the pictures coming out, that is exactly what Hamas is banking on. And, you know, amongst everything else that happened in the last week or so, one thing we should note is that they had a very sophisticated social media campaign coming out of Hamas from the time this terrorist attack started, and it continues today. That is not going to let up. That is going to intensify. And so, you know, when your enemy wants something, don't give it to them. And I think we have to hope there's a way, and it's no easy way, Israel can figure out how to ensure that they don't do what the enemy wants them to do. And I think that's a concern mm -hmm. for all of us as we watch this unfold. Listen to uh, Yova Gallant, who appeared earlier today. This is the Israeli defense minister, appeared in a news conference with uh, Lloyd Austin, our, mm -hmm. our secretary of defense, is in Tel Aviv today, when he was asked about uh, the connection between Iran and Hamas. The official word from the U.S. is there's no hard evidence to show that they helped to plan or encourage this attack. Lloyd Austin reiterated that today. His counterpart in Israel sees it differently. Listen. Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas is uh, one axis, an axis of evil. Everything is directed generally from Iran. The permission is given by Iran. The money is supplied by Iran. And uh, the ideas are shaped in Iran. Therefore, it doesn't matter if they give or didn't give the permission. Mark, the administration is being heavily criticized uh, for its posture with Iran. We've had any number of Republican lawmakers just last evening. Bill Haggerty was really admonishing the administration uh, for, for instance, the $6 billion uh, that was part of the prisoner swap recently that has apparently been refrozen or wasn't something. It's kind of hard to understand the, the actual status of what's happening in that bank account. But I wonder if you see this White House as needing to say more. You've got the Secretary of Defense delivering a very different message than the Israeli Defense Minister on this. Well, as I said, I, I think the administration has stood by Israel after the attack. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I do think that there was an um, appeasement effort that emboldened Iran to, to fund Hamas and gave Hamas a sense that they could they could take this attack at this time. Whether or not it's the $6 billion in assets that were unfrozen, whether or not it's the constant begging for Iran to come back to the table to sign a new Iran nuclear deal, uh, whether or not it's, it's turning the cheek when Iran has been providing drones to Ukraine, this administration has continued to offer a sense of appeasement. And when you look at the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan, it definitely emboldens our enemies. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. Jeannie, I know you don't agree with that, but what could this White House have done differently to not help create the narrative that Mark is telling. Yeah, I, you know, 
I do think there is a, a narrative surrounding the $6 billion, and we likely see the Senate pursue that, as you talked about, when they come back to town next week. I don't know that we should be as concerned right now about the narratives. I do think when this goes forward and we have some distance from it, there is going to be a lot of you know second-guessing what happened. And I think much of that is going to fall on the government of Benjamin Netanyahu, not necessarily the United States and not necessarily Joe Biden. So yes, we should think about the six billion. I don't necessarily have a problem with refreezing that, but this idea of a blame game seems to me to be all about politics at this point. And you know, Mark mentioned early on, uh, you know, what we're hearing, which is that a concern about what the squad and those people say. There's also a concern about what Donald Trump is out there saying. He's out there calling Hezbollah smart. He's out there attacking Benjamin Netanyahu just hours after a horrendous terrorist attack on his nation. So I think the idea that we politicize any of this is not for the moment. And so, yes, the White House may need to rethink its approach to Iran. I agree with that. I'm not opposed to that. But I do think that the blame, if there is any blame to go along, it's going to fall squarely, obviously, on Hamas. It's going to fall on Hezbollah. Should they get involved, it will fall on Iran for any of that. Yeah. But Benjamin Netanyahu's government is going to have to think about what they did to those reservists to divide the military over there. That's where the blame is going to have to fall. And the Israeli people, when it is time, they will be able to go to the ballot box and hold whoever they think is responsible in their own government responsible. And Americans can do the same thing. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. Uh, well, Mark I, and our I, look, moment. I agree. I think that yeah. Donald Trump's uh, comments were inexplicable. What did you make of that approach? Though? It was Where's inexplicable. I, I mean, it's like at the time when our most cherished allies under attack, it's the it's the worst time in the world to be providing a cover for our enemies or criticizing Benjamin. Is Nanyang. he speaking for himself or some wing of I the party? I think it's. That... I think it's it really candidly. I think it's more personal and selfish. Yeah. That relates to the fact that Netanyahu called Biden after the election. That's victory. what this is, right? Yeah, that's that's what it is. Okay, this is. Awfully predictable sometimes. Uh, great to have Mark Short with us here in Washington and Jeannie Shanzano in New York. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. 
Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It's back to square one in the race for speaker as Steve Scalise withdraws his name from nomination. Jim Jordan jumps back in and the Republican race for the speaker becomes a battle now between Jordan and an impeachment skeptic. We're going to talk ahead with a member of the conference who's been in meetings, private meetings throughout the day today, Congressman Ben Klein, the Republican from Virginia, as we try to figure out the way forward here ahead of this weekend that could also include a ground invasion in Gaza. The other story that we're following closely here, painting out of two buckets again today in Washington. I'm Joe Matthew alongside Kaylee Lyons, just back from Capitol Hill. It's another busy day up there, Kaylee, with only one story to talk about because we can't do anything until we get a speaker. Yeah, and we'll see if they can get any step closer. They're back in conference after Mm -hmm. earlier today. Once again, that rule that would have made changes, made it so that 217 votes had to be secured before anyone could be the speaker nominee didn't pass. That was tabled again. So what we're looking for now is a majority, and we'll see whether Jim Jordan or Austin Scott can ultimately get it. But then, as we know, they're going to face the same challenge Steve Scalise did in Mm -hmm. trying to secure the requisite votes. Absolutely. 217. uh, And, you know, sometimes it's the simple questions. As you (laughs) asked Austin Scott, do you actually want this? Here's what he said. I don't necessarily want to be the Speaker of the House. I want the House to function correctly. The House is not functioning correctly right now. Let's bring in Congressman Ben Klein, the Republican from Virginia's 6th Congressional District, is back with us on the phone here, having just emerged from that conference meeting that we've been talking about. Congressman, are you publicly backing a candidate at this stage? I I am, Joe uh, and Kaylee. Good to talk to you. I'm I'm supportive of Chairman Jordan. I'm on the Judiciary Committee, and he's been a great chairman, great leader, and he would make a great speaker. Okay, Congressman, do you think he's getting there with everybody else? What's going on inside the room at the moment? Does he seem like he's going to have the requisite support? So we had a conference meeting this morning where, as you said, we dealt with uh, various rules amendments to decide whether we were going to raise the threshold to move to the floor to 217 or 218. Um, And those were withdrawn by general consensus. Uh, There's general consensus that we need to try and operate as a team we need to focus on unifying as a conference, working together. And uh, so we're going to see who comes out with the majority. My hope is that it's uh, Chairman Jordan and then that we may have a, a second vote just to uh, see how much support he has going to the floor, whether there are some uh, outliers who may want to protest because they don't like the way in which the vacancy was created. And that's unfortunate, but we have to put the past behind us. We have to move forward. We have to look at moving ahead with a conservative agenda for the country. And and that's why I'm hopeful that Jim Jordan will get the requisite number of votes to move forward. Congressman, how important is it that this gets done uh, this weekend? We were talking with Mark Short a moment ago, and he seemed to think the next two days are imperative to set up an actual successful vote for next week. Is that how you see it? Well, I think as soon as we can get consensus, we need to move to the floor. We don't need to go home for the weekend. We don't need to take a break. Uh, The Hmm. members know how they feel about uh, Jim Jordan. He's been a member for many years, and he's been a great leader. He has worked with uh, Speaker McCarthy, former Speaker McCarthy, who uh, is supporting Jim Jordan, and uh, Majority Leader Scalise. And uh, so I think 
there is general consensus that he would be the best candidate. It's just a question of whether we can get to 218. And when we do, we need to move pretty quickly to the floor because there are a lot of pressing issues that we need to address. Well, and on the idea of moving quickly to the floor, I understand there's some attendance issues within the conference right now, a number of members who are missing and a lot of Democrats that aren't uh, currently able to be in D.C., at least eminently as well. Should should there be some patience here? Well, sure. We want to make it possible for everybody to get back, but uh, we caution members not to go home. We caution that there can be votes at any time. And if members decide that they need to up and go home, uh, it's, it's on them to get back soon enough to make the vote. We're not going to sit around in conference and wait for 217 Republicans to show up. Uh, but at that same time, uh, we want there to be a general idea of uh, who is going to vote for our nominee and who isn't. And simply uh, avoiding the meetings and, and avoiding uh, voting in the conference is not the appropriate way to move forward. We need to all be here. We need to talk it out. And we can't just sit in our office and pout. Congressman, if you could bring us inside the room for a moment. I know you're not supposed to tell us a lot of what's said in there. And we do appreciate the fact that you've uh, given us some time on the phone in, in the middle of this whole process. But what's the tenor like? You know, we hear about the five families in the Republican conference. Are people arguing? Do you have individuals speaking to the entire room? Are you broken up into groups? How's this working? Well, there's, uh, we're in the largest committee room in the House, the Ways and Means Committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a table up front with two members sitting there, uh, Mr. Scott and Mr. Jordan. And a conference chair, Elise Stefanik, is moderating. And... Uh, and the members are standing before two mics, uh, just in line. And there's no Republican, you know, uh, mic for one side, for one uh, caucus, and, and one for another. It's just uh, uh, Republican, conservative, moderate, conservative, moderate, uh, lining up and asking questions, and each member gets to answer. And uh, we're asking about everything from, from policy issues to um, you know, the, the way in which the vacancy was created, uh, how the members feel about that, uh, how um, members are needing to come together to unify and the divisions that have uh, really riven the, the conference. And we need to address those and we need to be upfront about it and not just dance around them. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're confronting each other. All the phones have been taken outside and put in cubbies. So uh, no phones are in there. Mm -hmm. We're being honest with each other, and that's a great way to handle our differences. Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to hang up the phone with us and put it right back in the cubby, Congressman, before you head (laughs) back in there. As they are answering these questions, are there promises being made? Not to my knowledge. Um, Members have been asked, as Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan were asked, if they had had promised anything, and, and both said no. And uh, so Austin Scott, I haven't heard him get asked that question, Uh, but uh, we prefer to just go up or down based on who we think the best leader will be for the conference and for the nation. We've been hearing from Liz Cheney, uh, Congressman, about Jim Jordan. We just talked to Mark Short about this a moment ago here in studio, she tweeted today that Jim Jordan was involved in Trump's conspiracy to steal the election and seize power. He urged that Pence refuse to count lawful electoral votes if 
he becomes speaker, they will Republicans will be abandoning the Constitution. What do you say in response to that? Uh, we're the defenders of the Constitution. We are the only uh, branch or half of a branch of government that uh, is standing firm for the Constitution. And uh, we need to get a speaker elected so that the House can continue to stand strong for the Constitution. I'm uh, disappointed in, in that kind of attack on a member of Congress. I, you know, I served with Liz Cheney. Um, she yeah. didn't win her reelection, and and uh, that's uh, you know her, she's able to have her point of view, but that's not the view inside the conference, and that's not the view really for the country. The country's elected a Republican majority, and this Republican majority is going to represent a majority of Americans uh, with common sense conservative policies moving forward. So the allegations around Jim Jordan and January 6th were not brought up in the Republican conference meeting? Uh, not to my knowledge. I've, I've been in and out, and I'm, I'm out right now, but uh, not to my knowledge. Yeah. Congressman, can you just give us a sense of, while you're in the room there, if there is, is a feeling that this is going to be wrapped up quickly, or is there more discussion happening about potentially extending, expanding the powers of, of Patrick McHenry and his pro tem position? Uh, no, uh, there are very few members who uh, would support expanding the powers of a temporary speaker. The, the, the office of temporary speaker was only created after 9-11. Uh, former Speaker McCarthy was able to put a list of members in an envelope that was not to be opened until he vacated the, the office. And when he did, it was Patrick McHenry at top. He's a very capable chairman of the banking committee, and uh, he is doing a great job. But his only job is to... Uh, move forward with electing a new speaker. And we're doing that right now. We anticipate that after this exchange of views occurs, we're going to have moved to a vote. And so hopefully we'll have it resolved today. Uh, that's our goal. I knock on wood as I say that. Yeah, sure. Uh, what's the uh, what's the feeling from some of those in the Freedom Caucus and, and outside of the Freedom Caucus who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy? We heard Matt Gates say the other day, long live Speaker Scalise. He told us he'd vote for either Scalise or Jordan. Is the temperature coming down at all uh, among that group? It, it, it's kind of been like a, a game of whack-a-mole, Congressman. Each day it's a different list of names who are opposed to something. It is uh, tough when you have a very slim majority. You've got uh, an outsized influence by a limited number. And what we have to make sure of is that all concerns are addressed and that everybody gets their say. Now, former Speaker McCarthy uh, is... Uh, being uh, the leader that we know him to be by standing up and saying um, we need to get behind Jim Jordan. And that, you know, says a lot. Uh, their relationship has hmm. not always been um, harmonious at times. They've both been on the Hill a long time. So uh, for them to come together at this point in time shows the gravity of the moment and the need to elect a leader who's going to move us ahead quickly. Congressman, you just referenced there the fact that the Republican Party is working with a very slim majority here, and there has been growing murmurs in the last 24 hours about because of that and because of what right now seems like an inability of the conference to coalesce around one candidate with 217 votes, that maybe there is work to be done with Democrats here. What do you say to that? Well, I, I say that's very unlikely. I mean, Republicans recognize that we uh, lead best when we lead with Republicans. And so uh, we hope to have a Republican speaker. We don't 
think that uh, the agenda of the previous speaker before Kevin McCarthy, Nancy Pelosi, is the one we need to return to. Uh, it uh, jacked up inflation rates. The excess spending has uh, done a number on the budgets of hardworking families when it comes to the pump or in the grocery store. And we don't want to go back to that. We also want to stand up to this administration. Uh, the, this administration has been flouting the Constitution, and we need to hold them accountable. And so uh, majority Republican House is going to be able to continue to do that. Congressman, you've been very generous uh, with your time here, and we really do appreciate it. Has there been an effort inside the conference meeting to try to get ahead of that and send a message maybe to some moderate Republicans from a state like New York who might be considering voting for a Hakeem Jeffries? Well, I don't. I haven't spoken to a single New York Republican who's interested in voting for Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, most, of, mm -hmm. in fact, some of the New York Republicans I've talked to have worked with Hakeem Jeffries in the New York Assembly and know him to be uh, a, a partisan who does not reach across the aisle, and that his rhetoric right now is really little more than an effort to interfere and sow chaos in the House majority. So we're going to continue to work to elect a Republican majority. We're not going to fall, uh, take the bait that Hakeem Jeffries is, is trying to uh, lure members in with his talk of bipartisanship for the first time that I've heard. Uh, and we'll continue to lead as a Republican majority that elects a Republican speaker. And hopefully that'll happen later today. Well, Congressman, your former Republican speaker, Kevin McCarthy, did work with Hakeem Jeffries on some bipartisan initiatives, including the CR that ultimately led to his ouster, the debt limit deal uh, from earlier this year as well. Would you not want a future speaker, Jordan, or whomever to work with Democrats in the same way? Well, we absolutely do, but we won't betray our principles on the altar of bipartisanship. Uh, what we have to do is continue to lead in a conservative way. The American people uh, think that the federal government uh, is too big, too bloated, and does too much, interferes in our lives and in our freedoms and our liberties too much. And so uh, they're looking for a House that's going to take the lead in rolling back uh, some of this excessive spending, getting the woke and weaponized government out of the budget. And we need to finish. We're only halfway through our appropriations bills in the House. Uh, I'm on the Appropriations Committee. We're desperate to get back to work. The Senate hasn't passed a single appropriations bill. They're going to try and jam us later this year with an omnibus. And we just can't allow that to happen. So we need to get back to work. The election of a speaker later today will help to make that happen. Wait, Congressman, if there's an altar of bipartisanship, I want you to tell me where that is because I'm going there. Uh, just, just to pick up on what you just said, though, you expect a vote today? Uh, we, yes, we will have a vote today. Uh, they're they're uh, concluding the interviews right now of the, of the uh, candidates. And once that happens, we anticipate there to be a nomination and a, and a vote, and we'll just see how the vote goes, and hopefully we'll have uh, near 218. I don't know that we're going to demand um, complete unanimity to get to go to the floor, but if we're close, uh, then you may see an effort to move to the floor expeditiously. Do you think, unlike Steve Scalise, Congressman, that Jim Jordan would be willing to put this on the floor immediately, or is he going to try to whip more votes first? Well, I, th I think you want to make sure that everybody's united. And uh, uh, so if there are holdouts, and there will be, no doubt, there are still people who are frustrated with the way that the office was vacated and that the way that uh, it's gone over the past two weeks. But I do think that those can be resolved. Those differences can be resolved. And I think 
given time, Jim Jordan can work it out. Is it going to be three votes, four votes, or the 30 votes that he's going to have to move to unify? And uh, that is going to dictate how much time we're going to need to move to the floor. Wow. Congressman, uh, thank you for stopping down for us. I hope we didn't get you in trouble with anyone on the staff here today. Congressman Ben Klein, the Republican from Virginia, ducking out of the Republican conference meeting in the House. We'd love to stay in touch with you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.